Welcome to the JPR Group Podcast, brought to you by the JPR Group of Baird Private Wealth Management. We're dedicated to bringing our clients, colleagues, and centers of influence the latest in wealth strategies, ideas, and information to keep you informed and confident. Also, listen in on conversations with industry leaders and interesting people from around the country that are changing the landscape of their businesses. This is the JPR Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the February 2022 Perry Ritchie Group Advisor Roundtable. I am your host for today, Drew Ritchie, here with our advisor team, Mr. Josh Marson and Andrew Boyles. Welcome, guys. Hey, Drew. Good to be here. So we are right in the middle of um, what we call the, the heart of our review season. We have a lot of reviews in the first quarter with with clients. We're reaching out and having a lot of conversations with clients. Uh, reviewing the past year, reviewing the upcoming year, uh, going through planning and, and, and really digging into uh, what changes we need to make as a result of what's happened and planning that clients have going forward. But we've all been having lots of conversations in our review meetings around uh, what's been a pretty up and down start to 2022. So we're going to unpack that, talk about some of the conversations we've had with clients, conversations around being proactive, um, and what we can do right now to navigate the current environment. Uh, but we're going to start off uh, with a little bit of tax updates from Andrew. Andrew, what do you got for us? Thanks, Drew. Yeah, so this is the time of the year where clients are starting to get you know their tax documents, starting to get all that together. Uh, in preparation for tax day. So uh, just as a quick reminder, this year tax day is actually Monday, April 18th. Um, So that Friday, April 15th is actually a federal holiday. So um, the deadline was pushed out to the following Monday. So this time of the year, a few questions that we get. Um, The first one is for uh, traditional IRA or Roth IRA uh, account owners, you actually have until the tax filing deadline or your filing to make IRA contributions for 2021. So um, you do still have a little bit of time to make those contributions. Um, Just as a quick reminder, if you're under 50, the limit for 2021 was $6,000 per person. And if you're over 50, that number was $7,000 that you could contribute. Um, A little more specifically, um, SEP IRA owners or self-employed, Uh, individuals that have a SEP IRA. Um, Same thing, you have up until your tax filing to make those contributions. And the maximum amount that you can contribute is actually based off of your income for the year. So that maximum number is actually going to be given to you uh, by your accountant or CPA. So um, be sure if you're self-employed and you have a SEP IRA that you talk with your CPA um, about what that number is so that you can decide if and how much you contribute there. So on that note, uh, again, as we said, you're going to be meeting with your CPA, getting your taxes done. So now is a good time to, um, you know, revisit, you know, some pretty standard or basic questions. Um, You know, just like we here have, you know, annual reviews with clients, you know, as a checkup. Um, When you're getting your taxes done, it's a good time to um, just reevaluate some things. So, you know, if you're retired, um, it'd be, or even if you're working, it'd be a good time to reevaluate, reevaluate your tax withholdings. So, you know, if there's a large um, payment that you have to make or a large refund, you know, that would be a good discussion to have with your CPA to get that more in line. And for those clients that are that are over 65, 
Um, checking with your CPA, your accountant on where your income falls um, with the Medicare, the IRMA brackets. So that is something that we're talking about with our retired clients, that your income can have an effect on your Medicare premiums. And we have the ability to do a tax analysis here internally with a copy of your tax return. But um, that's something that your CPA can also um, provide some insight on um, as it relates to that. So let me make just a, a, a point here, and, and this may impact a couple of the listeners. It's it's fascinating to know if you're not receiving Social Security, uh, you should know that uh, Social Security had a fairly large inflation adjustment this mm-hmm. year. Very good thing. The government kind of t- touted that as we're giving a cost of living COLA adjustment for Social Security. However, Medicare premiums increased in a in a, a way that really offset that almost 100% for folks. So uh, I just thought that was a uh, an interesting observation that the government really touted the COLA increase in Social Security. Didn't really mention the Medicare premium increase. So most people got a reduction in their amount of Social Security this year, all the while the government's touting this COLA adjustment. Just fascinating yeah. aside. So just, just got to look behind the curtain a little bit and make sure that you're uh, understanding how that all that works. But yeah, anyway, the, yeah, the social security there. benefits and the Medicare premiums really go hand in hand and work, work very closely together. Uh, and then the last thing, as far as this is more of forward looking, but um, for those clients that are aged 72 uh, or turning 72 this year um, or older, you're going to be taking a required minimum distribution. And um, just as a, as a heads up, this year, beginning in 2022, the uh, life expectancy tables that are used to calculate those required minimum distributions have changed uh, from previous years. So um, that RMD calculation is something that our firm Baird um, provides, and we can give you those numbers um, for your, your accounts that are held here. So if you have questions about that, please reach out. So can can I add a couple of points yeah. to that? So. It, uh, what what I would suggest, one, is call us to discuss your RMD because everybody's is different. If you do have, have accounts that are not held with us um, and you're not getting the RMD calculated by a bank or some institution, just be sure that you're uh, monitoring that yourself and that you're, um, you know, working with them on those. All right. Let's turn to Josh now for a second. Josh, we've got a lot to talk about with... Uh, market volatility with rising interest rates, inflation, unemployment. I know you got your finger on the pulse of all of those things. Uh, they're all changing day to day, as always. But we do go through these times where things tend to um, change a little, a little more rapidly uh, than than others. So tell us, tell us what you're monitoring right now. Yeah. So re- like you said, Drew. You know it's. It's the beginning of 2022, so there's a lot of things shuffling around. It's really day-to-day at this point, um, whether it be the estimates on how many rate increases we're going to have this year. You know, Towards the end of last year, the base case was three. Then you get into the beginning of this year, it's four. You hear five. Um, you hear a quarter of a interest or a quarter of a percent interest rate hike and then you hear word come out about uh, half a percent what i can tell you around all of that is there's obviously a base case i would personally 
expect probably four rate hikes this year. As far as if it's going to be a quarter percent, half a percent, nobody knows that. And it's going to be based on when the Fed meets. They're going to look at the economy, look at all kinds of other variables and make decisions at that point. So, uh, you know, somewhere between three and five, could we see a half a percent interest increase at one point? Sure. Um, but once again, it, it's it's a moving target and, and nobody knows what that would it's be. It's speculative. Yeah. So um, let me ask you a couple of questions. Sure. One, I know the answer, and the other I don't. All right. Uh, the first, why, why would the Federal Reserve raise interest rates right now? Yep. So excellent question. Number one is it's because the economy is in a position to where it can take an interest rate hike. So why would uh, the Fed raise interest rates in general? Well, number one, we have a base case interest rate in our country, the Fed funds rate. For a long period of time, that rate has been below their target. And they use that tool to assist our economy in a lot of different ways. So what I tell people is, are interest rates going up this year? Sure, they are. But also think about it is they're actually normalizing interest rates. We've had a very long period of time where interest rates have been below their long-term trend and our economy's in a position now to where it can take those interest rates, it's healthy enough to get back to that trend. So the, the Federal Reserve uses the interest rate to either uh, stimulate or restrict the economy. So I, I hear what you're saying and it sounds like, you know, if, if we're in a extremely low interest rate environment, we have some turbulent economic times and there's a need to stimulate the economy. If interest rates are already near zero, there's not a lot they can do at that point. That's exactly right. Yeah. Think about it. You know, I tell a lot of, a lot of people we meet with, think about it as like your, your thermostat dial. Um, if the economy needs stimulation, they can crank the interest rate dial down. If inflation picks up, uh, the economy's cooking a little hot, they can turn that and turn interest rates and adjust them back and forth. So think about it as a, uh, your thermostat in your home. So post Alan Greenspan, who was Federal Reserve Chairman back in the early 2000s, I believe, really the Federal Reserve's main objective has been controlling inflation. Inflation and employment. Inflation and employment. So what does raising interest rates do to, to control that? To control the inflation? To control inflation. Sure, sure. Well, what the interest, what they're trying to do is, you know, if you can, if you look at different numbers, uh, you know, you can measure inflation via CPI, PCE. There's, there's numerous different metrics you can use. But if you look at CPI, you know, the numbers have come out. It's above 7% year over year, uh, north of 7%. And that, that is, I would say, grossly above the long-term target of the Federal Reserve. So what they simply do is once they increase interest rates, over a period of time, inflation will begin to come back down into a normal trend. Now, as soon as they turn up interest rates, don't expect inflation to just follow suit immediately. It takes time for this to stick into the economy uh, and actually have a real effect. Okay. 
So when we talk about the the top economic indicators that we monitor, and we review this, uh, we review this a lot with our clients uh, in in meetings as part of our educational process. We've got interest rates that are below historical average ranges uh, on the low side. Home prices are above historical ranges. Inflation above historical ranges. Unemployment lower than historical ranges. Can we talk just a little bit about how really all four of those things tend to be connected together? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so with home prices, uh, the low interest rate is really making money easier to get, right? For new home purchasers, lending is a little easier. The inflation also causing home prices to increase. Um, and then unemployment. You know, unemployment is a, a kind of a hotly debated topic. We we do have a, a smaller workforce as the percentage of our population than we've seen in years past. But with unemployment being, you know, quoted now below 4%, um, most people, they may not be able to find the job that they want, but there are jobs to be found if they want to work. So really all of those factors contribute to one another. Um, so with all those things being the case, uh, why would consumer sentiment, it's one of the other, uh, you, you always refer to it as the Home Depot sure. index, right? Tell us, a, tell us more about that. What does that mean? Yeah, so for years I've, I've called consumer sentiment the Home Depot index. And really consumer sentiment is really how we feel about going out and spending money, consumer discretionary money. Um, and it's vitally important because our economy works like none other, and about 70% of our economy is based on us spending money. So the consumer's extremely important in the United States. So I call it the Home Depot Index simply because um, if you go to Home Depot on a Saturday and park in the back of the parking lot and just see what comes out of the store. So if there's new grills, new driving lawnmowers, zero turn, fancy stuff, um, most likely the consumer is feeling pretty good. If you park at the back of Home Depot and what's coming out is DIY, trying to fix my back porch by myself stuff, um, most likely people are trying to save money and things are starting to tighten down. So this is by no means a confirmed uh, index that I've created, but it does tell you the strength of the consumer. And if you look right now, you know, this data that we're looking at is on a quarter to quarter basis. And over a period of time, it's very accurate. Uh, you know, last summer, consumer sediment was extremely high. And then all of a sudden, the Omicron virus shows up, uh, or variant, and that consumer sediment takes a, takes a nosedive. And, and it's very similar to probably how all, all of us feel. Josh, would you say that kind of going back to the interest rate conversation, how, you know, we've been at historically low levels, but there is kind of a base case that we want to get back to that it's, it's kind of the same function of, you know, you just mentioned we saw consumer sentiment at a really high point, you know, about a year ago, um, you know, some of that stimulus money was still in the economy. People were happy to go out and spend. Um, now with the Omicron variant, it's slowed down some, so we're seeing that sentiment below average, but ultimately again it, it's going to kind of probably end up somewhere in the middle which just is a taking some time to work itself out 
Yeah, I mean, in our in in what we do for a living, it, it it's called reversion to the mean, and yeah, it's going to be high, it's going to be low, over a period of time, the economy will be able to take the interest rate uh, increases, uh, wage growth. We've seen a little bit of wage growth, unemployment's low, so the economy will will adjust. It's a shock initially. You can see it in the markets. The markets don't like it in the short term. Um, but over a period of time, I would say the economy is healthy enough to take it, understand that you're normalizing rates, uh, and there's a lot of data out there after interest rate increases. Um, the, the, the global markets seem to do very similar to they do in any other market or time frame. Um, you said that sometimes it can be a shock when, when, they, when they raise interest rates. It's not... I think it's worth pointing out that we should appreciate the transparency that we seem to have from the current Federal Reserve, that they're not just, um, you know, walking up to the podium and announcing what's going to happen, but they're giving the markets plenty of time to digest what multiple interest rate increases might do in 22, what it might do in the 23. And I think that that transparency is worth noting that the market Investors can navigate the environment that they're given. It's when they have uncertainty or when they have surprises that they're not expecting um, that the markets really kind of have that knee-jerk reaction during the course of a day. So I think it's, it's worth noting that when those interest rates come, and do you know off the top of your head when the next FMOC meeting is? Uh, I do not, but they're... A lot of our partners are saying that we could see uh, the first hike in March of yeah. this year. So, so when that happens, when and if that happens in March, it's going to be expected, likely already priced in, and oftentimes, um, you know, has maybe maybe the opposite impact that people are anticipating. They think raising rates is going to be a negative impact. The market actually goes up, um, which happens. A lot of times, it's it's typically when things aren't expected that the markets react kind of volatile. So let's talk about volatility in the markets just a little bit. We've tell us about January. We've seen a seen a, a little bit of a decline. Yeah. So January has been extremely volatile. Um, I always try and remind people that always remember that volatility is on the up and down side. So volatility just doesn't simply mean that you're losing money. It's on the high side and the low side of it. Not, not a lot of people call really worried when the market's up 1,000 points, though. No, they, they absolutely don't. But it's from the top and the bottom, and they can move all over the place. I mean, we've had, we've had numerous days. Uh, we, had, we had a day this week where the S&P was below 4%, and by the end of the day, it scraped out a quarter of a percent return, a little above that. So that is volatility in its essence. And we're going to most likely see volatility throughout the year. There's a lot going on. Um, you know, you have your interest rate hikes. There's some geopolitical issues that we have going on uh, on the other side of the world currently. We'll have midterm elections. These are all things that typically create short-term volatility. So it shouldn't be of uh, a big surprise. So when we have volatility, market corrections, declines, pullbacks, however people want to define those, what can we do as investors to be proactive or to navigate that? 
Sure. So the, the first thing I'd tell people is that understanding that volatility is part of the game that we're playing. So it's been hard to believe, but over the last three years, we've almost started to think that the markets simply just go up. And that's, that's by no means the case. Um, but as we go through this year, once again, we're going to see volatility. Um, understand that many times individuals say, you know, if the market's down a few points that day, they'll say, well, what should we be doing? And 99% of the time I say, absolutely nothing. You're globally diversified. You're covering all your asset classes. Um, portfolios, if they're built correctly, are built for long-term periods, numerous business cycles. They're not built for two or three months. So, One other thing that you can be doing or, or looking at is opportunities for tax loss selling. So that's a, a topic that we've talked about quite a bit. And, you know, there's a bit of a misconception around it in that, you know, a lot of outlets will talk pretty heavily about it the last two months of the year as this kind of this last ditch effort to, you know, save some on taxes before the year's up. But really it's more of being aware of opportunities throughout the year because ultimately if you're selling something at a loss, the market has to be down, uh, you know, generally speaking for that position to be at a loss. So, you know, that's something that, you know, internally we try to keep our eyes on where when we see volatility um, to the downside, and, you know, there's positions that we can, you know, capture the loss um, and, and work with that. Um, again, that's something that really is more throughout the year as the opportunity presents itself, more so than just, hey, in November, December, let's just take a quick glance and see if there's anything. Um, so that's, that's one other thing that investors can be um, thinking about. There's not always opportunities to do that um, based on your specific holdings, but it's something to at least look at. It's a good point, and and what I've been talking with clients about this last few weeks a lot is using it as, as an opportunity to rebalance their portfolio if they need to. Um, you know, the markets have been very positive for 19, 20, 21. We haven't had a negative year um, on the, the U.S. markets since 2018. And because of that, a lot of our clients have ticked up a notch or two on their level of risk in their portfolio. So I've been going in and looking at here's here's where your allocation was a year ago. Here's where it is today. At what point do we want to rebalance and, and de-risk or take a little bit of that risk off the table? It, it's a tough conversation because fixed income is not a good place to reallocate a lot of assets to based on rising interest rates. So, um, you know, we've been talking about some other other ways of diversifying, but yeah, so I, I would say cash planning ahead for your distributions, looking at tax, law, ta tax loss selling opportunities and making sure that the risk that they have in their portfolio is, is really where it needs to be. The last thing that I would like for us to just touch on today, unless you all have, have anything else you want to discuss, is just the kind of the performance in the markets from last year. A lot of our clients are, are more conservative. Their equity allocations tend to be a little more value or dividend equity type bias as opposed to uh, growth st type stocks, tech stocks, and speculative things. Josh, what's the been the performance breakdown between, uh, we know it's 
we, our advisor team knows it's not enough to just say the U.S. market's up X percent. What pockets within the market are really seeing the performance right now? Yeah, so, you know, year to date, we're, we're through the first month of the year, uh, growth stocks um, and more specifically tech stocks have got hit pretty hard year to date. Uh, value companies have held up, I would say, better. Uh, year to date, you know they're still down, but with a with a total market down, it's it's hard for for them to be pushing a, a positive return. Um, but like I said, growth stocks are down pretty pretty good. Small cap is down, you know, at a at a reasonable level. Mid cap, uh, some of the sectors that have done well, uh, energy is doing very well this year. It's you know, go go look at the price of crude. That'll tell you how energy's doing. Materials are doing well, um, but yeah, growth to value values held up a little better than, okay. than growth, which is a, a bit of the opposite from twenty twenty. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, very big difference. But right back to what you said earlier, reversion to the mean, yeah. meaning things go back to the average. Yep. Right. That's really what we're what we're seeing now. That level out. We are. Yeah. I mean, it, the way that I think about it is, growth probably gave you more than you deserved last year, but you'll take it. Um, you know, and and it does revert back to its mean. It reverts back to a, a reasonable valuation, and that's you know some of your tech stocks probably got a little long in the tooth. Yeah. One one last thing uh, that I just thought of I want to touch on, and then we're going to wrap it up. Andrew was giving us some information on tax deadlines and, um, you know, some, some tax planning need-to-knows. We, we have clients uh, across the country from coast to coast, I believe 19 states, maybe more now. Uh, so we have listeners everywhere. Uh, certainly a, a large part of our client base is within 100 miles of, of Bowling Green, Kentucky, Warren, uh, Warren County, uh, specifically where we're sta stationed or headquartered here in our office. Uh, because of tornado uh, recovery efforts and relief, the tax deadline is extended for Warren County residents. So I just wanted to point that out. If you're in Warren County and you're listening, it's not the typical April 15th deadline. Do contact your CPA uh, about that. We're not tax advisors and we do, do uh, you know, are not giving tax advice, but do uh, just know that for the tornado uh, relief efforts that were at the end of the year, mostly for businesses in an effort to give businesses a little relief on, on doing their year-end planning. Um, they've extended that deadline into May. So um, with that, we're going to wrap up our February 2022 Advisor Roundtable discussion. This, again, is a time where we just want to pull back the curtain a little bit. Transparency is a core value of our practice, and we want to give our clients, colleagues, um, and our network insight into the discussions that we're having uh, behind the scenes with our advisor team and in our client meetings in hopes of making you a more educated and confident investor. So if you have specific questions around how all of this may impact you and you don't have a meeting on the calendar with us, please reach out to us. We're happy to help. That is what we're here for. So thank you all again. Please subscribe to our podcast uh, wherever you listen. Give us a rating. Those really help uh, other listeners find this information as well. So we look forward to seeing you all uh, in a month. Thank you very much. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcast. You may visit our website at thejprgroup.com for more information about our team or like us on Facebook. If you'd like to speak to a financial advisor on our team, please contact our office at 270-467-9664. We hope to hear from you soon. This podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any security or instrument or to participate in any particular trading strategy. The information is considered to be from reliable sources, but its accuracy is not guaranteed. The opinions expressed are those of the show's host and guest and are not necessarily those of Robert W. Baird and Company, Inc. Baird does not offer tax or legal advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered by Robert W. Baird and Company, Inc., a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor, member FINRA and SIPC.